I felt especially burdened to share with you a message today that is inspired by the teaching of one of my professors this fall. And so I'm going to put a temporary pause in the book of James. We're going to unfold more of James over the next three weeks. Uh, but today I want to talk about this. You see, I've been taking a course in church revitalization. I was excited when it showed up on the schedule back in the spring. It's a course I wanted to take for a long time, but it had never actually showed up available online. So I was excited when it came on. I signed up for it, and I thought I was taking it for one set of reasons, but I've come to believe that I was probably taking it for a different set of reasons because a lot's changed in this semester. Time passes quickly sometimes. So today's passage and some of the principles of it are taken from a foundational explanation that my professor, Dr. Hernard, gave of what has to underlie any church revitalization. And we're not in exactly that same situation, but... I think it so clearly applies to where we are here at Lake Ridge Baptist that I I felt compelled to share. So our passage today is from Ezekiel chapter 37, and I'm going to read it in just a minute, but I want to take a moment to kind of paint the context for you, because particularly when we talk about the Old Testament, it gets difficult for us to really understand kind of what's going on and really appreciate it. We can almost relate to New Testament culture. Yeah, it's very different, but there's a certain commonality of thread and culture that we can kind of understand. And and we get more exposure to New Testament teaching, so we've kind of absorbed it over time. The Old Testament can seem like a, a stream of names and empires and dates that gets difficult to sort out. So I'll try and, and sort out for this one just to give some context because I think it's important. So this is a vision that was given to Ezekiel by God sometime in the year 585 B.C. Maybe a little thereafter, but that neighborhood. And 12 years earlier, the young priest Ezekiel had been taken out of Jerusalem and taken to Babylon when the Babylonians had first invaded. And when they did so, they took away the best and brightest of Israel and took them back to Babylon with them. And after he'd been living there for about four years, he was down by the riverside one day in Babylon When God appeared to him in a vision, he saw the Lord on his throne. And God commissioned him to be a prophet to this dispersed nation of Israel that was very confused about what they were supposed to do and who they even were at this point. And so over the course of many years, a series of visions are given to him to minister to the people. Visions of judgment, visions of destruction, and ultimately visions of restoration. And it it was there to help this lost and broken people understand and process and relate to the events that were to come, that had happened. These events that were quite literally the end of the world as they knew it. Among the visions, he sees God's glory leave the temple. After dwelling among the people of Israel for nine centuries... God departs the temple, and he will not return until Jesus Christ walks through the door nearly 600 years later. And in 586, the Babylonians return to Jerusalem, and they destroy everything that really matters. And they cart off most of the people. And most terribly of all, they destroy the temple of God. Because you see, the temple of God was really the center of Jewish life and identity. And even though they had spent centuries doing horrible things, including terrible idolatrous sins in the temple, nonetheless, it was still at the core of their identity as a people. 
It's what gave them meaning and purpose, and now it was gone. Destroyed. People themselves have been dragged from the land that had been promised to them as an eternal inheritance, as long as they kept with God's covenant. And they've been spread throughout a vast and unholy pagan empire. Their world has been utterly shattered, and it's against that backdrop that God gives Ezekiel the vision of hope that I want to share today. So turn with me, if you would, to Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. I will put it up on the slides, but I'll tell you it's long, and so I have to split it over three slides. So if you have a Bible or an iPad or iPhone with it, you may want to stick with that. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold... There were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. I'm going to take a a little pause here just to make sure we understand the imagery of what's going on. What he is seeing is probably an old battlefield where the bodies were left to decay on the surface of the land. And they're not freshly dead. They don't look much like bodies. I mean, that would be gross, but it would be somewhat lifelike. These have been out so long that the animals and the birds have picked the bones clean and the sun of the desert has bleached and dried them. And so the point of them being very dry is that they are very, very dead. There is not a shred of life in them. And that's exactly how the nation of Israel felt about itself. And so that's where this vision comes in. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. See, Ezekiel can't answer this. He has no idea. But he knows that God alone knows the answer to that question. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. 
I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. These bones were really, really dead. Yet they lived again. The nation of Israel was really, really dead, yet God restored it and rebuilt it as a nation, and it was a nation better than it had been before, because it was finally cured of its terrible love of idolatry. Now, we at LRBC are not dead like that, not at all, but we are badly injured. Today we come together, and we are sad, and we are hurting, and we are confused, We are confused about God's will for our life and for this church. And we may be concerned about what the future will bring here. But here's the good news from this vision. Healing and restoration are a work of the Lord. And He can bring dry bones back to life. And if He can bring new life to dry bones, He can bring healing and new life to Lake Ridge Baptist Church. And I'd like to take a moment to look at how God specifically goes about restoring the dry bones. Because it has a tremendous relevance to how we move forward as a church. And there's really only two parts to it. First in verse 4, God commands Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. To prophesy is to proclaim God's word. For us, the Bible. And we need to understand that God's word is very powerful indeed. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is powerful and effective. It succeeds at accomplishing God's purpose. We see that in today's passage in verses 7 and 8. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. You see, in faithfully proclaiming God's word, Ezekiel had released God's powerful word to do God's mighty work. And it was accomplished. The bones came back together again in complete bodies. And so that faithful proclamation of God's word, that is our promise as we move forward as a church. Each week we will be seeking God's will as to the message to bring and and spending time to understand it and apply it And whether it's Pastor Neil in the pulpit, or me, or any of the other theologically-minded folks in this church, we're going to be in the Bible each and every Sunday, reading it, understanding it, and applying it to our lives. It's a very simple formula. What does the Bible say? What does that mean? What does it mean for our lives? But if we follow that approach, then our goal is going to be to proclaim God's Word and then get out of the way. Because we know with 100% certainty that his word is effective for all that he sends it to do. But we see there's a second part to completing that restoration of dry bones, right? The the word was powerful, and it brought together the body, but there was no life yet. And that part is, is the most important part. And it took the Spirit of God to put life back in those bodies. 
So Ezekiel was commanded to call for the Holy Spirit to come and breathe life into these newly restored bodies, and he did. Verse 10 tells us the result. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. To make sure that the shattered nation of Israel got the point, God closes with these words from verse 14. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. You see, the new life comes when God's spirit moves among God's people. We have God's spirit in our heart. He has fulfilled the promise from verse 14. And as we faithfully proclaim God's word, we are going to also faithfully pray for God's spirit to move here at Lake Ridge Baptist. And we're going to expect that he will. We will seek him fervently in prayer, both individually and collectively. And then we're going to wait expectantly for his timing. This is not demanding or presuming on God because it is asking for the very thing that he longs to do. Because we know God loves the local church. And I know that he loves this church even with its warts and blemishes and wounds. So what can we conclude from this passage? What do we do now as a church? Some of you may be wondering that. Some of you may even be despairing and asking if we are cursed to be a rudderless ship for a year or more. And I say, absolutely not. Because we know why we're here and we know what we're supposed to do. We are here to glorify God and to grow his kingdom here in Lake Ridge and to the ends of the earth. You may ask, are we leaderless? And I say, absolutely not. Because we have always had a leader. He's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you may ask whether we lack direction or mission, and I say, absolutely not. We have a mission, to go and make disciples by baptizing and teaching. That has not changed, and it will not change. We will continue to increase our gospel service and presence in our neighborhoods, through Team Kid and Youth Group and ESL and Community Outreach and Service to Rockledge and Serving the Homeless and Operation Christmas Child and so many more things, we will continue to teach and proclaim the message every Sunday in Sunday school and in worship services and in Team Kid and in Youth Group and in Bible studies. And we will continue to evangelize and minister to the ends of the earth. And you might say, well, how are we going to execute that? Do we lack a plan? And I say, we need look no further than Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. See, it was simple. The early church focused on three things, teaching, prayer, and fellowship. And the breaking of bread and prayer are part of that fellowship. And so like the early church, we'll devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the preaching that I've already referred to. And we're also going to start praying more as a body all the way through this season of change. And hopefully in doing that, we'll even set some patterns that will affect the body of this this church for many years to come. Like Ezekiel, we're going to pray faithfully for God's Spirit to move here at LRBC and keep praying until He does. And so I'd say if you lead a Bible study, if you're part of a Bible study, please take five or ten minutes every, every time you gather to pray for this church, that we be faithful stewards of the calling we have 
to reach our community and the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. I hope that you can commit to do that. Will you commit to do that today when you gather? And if you lead a committee or you're on a committee or a ministry and you get together for meetings, can you take five or ten minutes at every one of those meetings to pray for this church? Of course, continue praying for your ministry, but but pray specifically for this church as a whole, as a body, that we would be faithful stewards of the calling we have to reach our community, to lift up our church and our leadership, to pray for our witness, seek God's will, to seek God's face. And here's a commitment to you. Because we need to be a body that prays together. And so every Sunday night at 6 p.m., the church will be gathering. It will be open, and there will be a minister here to pray with you. Every Sunday we can gather as a body, and I understand sometimes you can't make it. Sunday at 6 is a difficult time. And so this is not to guilt anyone or to pressure anyone, but just to encourage you. If you are able, please join us in prayer for this church. We'll pray that God's will would be revealed as we move into the future. We pray for love and healing and grace in our church and in our relationships. And pray for strength and encouragement for our leaders. If you're worried that you'll be the only one here, or there won't very, be very many people, and it's a waste of time, well, it's never a waste of time to gather and pray. And there will be someone here. There will be at least one other here, one minister here. So there'll be at least two gathered together, praying to the Lord, seeking His face. So I hope you'll join us. We're starting tonight. It's already in your bulletin, I believe. The church is going to be open. It will not necessarily be fancy or formal. It's just God's people gathered in God's house, seeking God's face. We will continue our fellowship. We will not use the terrible events of the past month as an excuse to drift apart, but instead as a motivation to come together to try and rebuild damaged relationships, to try and grow in greater unity. We will continue to grow and deepen our Sunday school and Bible study fellowships. And together we will heal with God's grace. There's one more thing we're going to do. In light of the wounds that we've experienced, it would be entirely natural for the church to want to turn inward to want to heal, to want to tend to our, our stuff, our business. And for a brief time, that might be okay. But that cannot last for a long time because that's not real healing. That's just scarring. Real healing comes to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can confess our sins and our mistakes as individuals, as teams, and as a body before God in repentance. And we can be 100% certain that we'll be forgiven because of the great sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Genuine, life-giving, nourishing healing doesn't come from us holding tight to that gospel and turning inward. It comes from sharing it and turning outward. You see, we've had a lot of bad news lately at LRBC, but we've got God's good news, and that is better than all our bad news. And we're going to get back in the business of sharing that good news. So I'm not asking anything today. More of a warning. Today we're looking forward. 
And we're looking at confessing unconfessed sin in our life and to healing relationships that we're able to heal and, and at least letting people know that the doors to reconciliation will always be open because that's what we're commanded to do. Today we're leaning on the strength of God because for some of us we don't have that much strength of our own left. But soon I will challenge everyone here to list some friends and neighbors and, and co-workers that you'd like to come with you to church someday. That if you've decided that this church is good enough to be your home, that you would resolve that it's good enough for your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers too. So though I'm not challenging anybody today, I'd like you to start thinking about those friends and neighbors and co-workers who, who you might like to see sitting in the empty seat next to you. And start praying for them if you aren't already. Praying that they would open up and soften their hearts for the gospel and would be open to an invitation to come here. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to faithfully proclaim God's word. We're going to pray fervently and frequently as a body for his spirit to move here. We're going to deepen our fellowship. We're going to invite our friends to worship with us. And then we're going to wait expectantly for God's spirit to move here. And none of this will work by our own power or strength, but it will through the awesome power of our Lord. You see, I feel strongly that we are a church with a future, despite the pain we feel today, because I am convinced that if we're faithful in calling on the Lord, He'll respond in love and compassion, and His Spirit will move here as we live out our faith. Now, I've lost the element of Surprise, but I am going to go ahead and call Neil and Mark up front. They didn't escape. So, and I'm calling them up here because these are the men who are going to be working tirelessly, and I mean tirelessly, over the next, next many months to shepherd us in all the many ways that a flock needs shepherding. And we are in great hands because... These are amazing men of God, and they love this church, and they deeply love this congregation, and they passionately love the Lord. But more than that, I know we're in great hands because we are in God's hands, and He loves this church, and He loves broken things. He loves bringing new life to dry bones. And together, I believe He has many wonderful things ahead for Lake Ridge Baptists.